0: As the title of the song suggests, that's our obligation, our responsibility, our challenge, is to spread the tidings around. And this is what Pat McIntosh has devoted his life to doing. First time I met Pat, we were in graduation line uh, because of the spelling of our names. He was working on a different degree than I was, but that's when we first met and had associations association since then. Pat's worked with Bear Valley School of Preaching. He's done work in uh, Africa, Ukraine, and other places as well, sharing that good news. He uh, works at the uh, Brown Trail School of Preaching and uh, works down at Claiborne. He's been down there about 12 years. and uh, Again, he has a tremendous love for the Lord, tremendous desire to share the gospel with those who stand in need. And at this time, he has a tremendous Desire to challenge us to do more of what we're asked to do at this time, Pat.
1: What kind of a time frame? Is it zero trap door going up and up here at a certain time? Or... Do I go till I get through? I guess I go till you throw something. I've got a confession to make, and it involves David. And that confession is that there was an occasion where David and I were taking a class together at Amory University. And there was a teacher who said something that uh, neither one of us really cared for. We didn't make a scene. We made a comment, and we both had to go to the president's office. Uh, David, I'm going to leave that mess there for you to clean up now later. I do appreciate David. I've known David for a long time. I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk about something that's dear to my heart, and that's evangelism. I do want to say something up front. I never apologize uh, for what I deal with. I tell people all the time that I did not write this book. I was working for Ford Motor Company uh, back when Cheryl and I were early in our marriage. And I had some people come to the parts counter one day and were, 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 were complaining about prices on some of the parts that they were having to order. And I just kindly told them one day, I did not write that price book, I'm just reading it. Well, I didn't write the New Testament, but I am going to read it. And I will never apologize for what God's Word has to say. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. And sometimes that's good for us to get uncomfortable because it makes us stop and think and and reevaluate our situation. And that's what I want us to do this evening as it relates to what I believe is the greatest need in any given congregation today. If one were to ask those in our society what our greatest needs were, The answers would vary. Peace in the many war-torn areas around the world would be something that somebody might say. World peace. I saw a clip on Facebook here some time ago about a congregation that met in somebody's home in eastern Ukraine. And they were meeting in the basement. The area where I used to work, I can't even fly into that airport in Donetsk anymore. Because of the war, it's been destroyed. And those Christians have been dealing with war for some time now. But there was, it was a video where people were meeting in a basement. They were singing. The smiles were on their faces. And you could hear the artillery in the background as they were worshiping under candle. So I'm sure peace in a war-torn world might be high on their list of things that are the greatest need. There are many poverty-stricken countries around the world. where well, People go, tonight, go to bed at night hungry and thirsty. I've been in some places in Tanzania and Uganda. Uh, I've worshipped in homes that were little more than mud huts and where you had to compete with the goats and chickens that were in the next room There. But I've also heard there some of the most beautiful prayers about all the good things with which God has blessed us. But I've seen poverty in third world countries. There's a great deal of violence and wickedness in this world. Families are torn apart due to various shortcomings in the home. There is a great deal of civil unrest today. I'm afraid nowadays one of the most dangerous jobs there is is being a policeman, even in the metroplex. Because of the civil unrest, because of what's going on in the minds of so many people. And many continue to be upset over the presidential election. And I'm afraid that's going to continue until the next one. People are having difficulty finding jobs or adequate pay. We have a member there at Granbury Street who just this week, her husband had been working for a company for 10 years and all of a sudden he went into work and was told there's no more work. Not even even any severance pay there. What I want us to see, however, is there is an even greater need in the world today. There's a greater need in the church today and that is evangelism. In some way, Taking the gospel to the world will help alleviate everything else we've already talked about tonight. There would be peace between men if the gospel were obeyed. There would be peace within families if the gospel were believed and practiced. Everybody's life would be improved if the gospel were taken to the world. We're talking about that which is intended to involve every person. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to who? The ones we like? The countries where it's peaceful? Across the, across the drive? Across the yard? No. Preach the gospel to every creature. It involves preaching the word anywhere and everywhere so there we're speaking tonight both of the importance of local evangelism and world evangelism now I don't know much about this congregation I know David I've seen what's on your on your on your web page one of the things I like to do every once in a while I just go through some web pages and see what kind of works are being supported I'm always uh, looking to raise funds myself but there are those who focus only on local evangelism, and there are others who focus primarily on world evangelism. We're talking about the importance of both of them here tonight. We're talking about a need that was met aggressively in the first century. How could it possibly happen that after the wording of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Mark 16, how could it possibly happen that just 40 short years later, Paul would say to the Colossian church that the gospel had been taken to the world. How is it possible they could do that in only 40 years? Well, we understand what happened. When Alexander the Great conquered the world, there was a uniform language as he Hellenized the world. Speaking Greek was the key. When Rome came in as the world power, they built a road system that was second to none. Hence the phrase was coined, all roads lead to Rome. And then in Acts chapter eight verse four, you have a persecuted body of believers who went everywhere preaching the word, as they were scattered. It was indeed aggressively meant. We're going to be looking at some positive and negative things this evening as it uh, as as we consider what is a, 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 an active, sound congregation supposed to be doing? What are some of the identifying marks? First point tonight, why is the need so great? And the very simple answer is the need is so great because of the condition of the world that we're living in. We must be alert to the fact that there are billions that are dying in the world as we speak. I was privileged to go do some mission work in India. We were looking at a place called Chennai. We had a school there, it didn't work out because of some administrative things and differences in philosophy. But as I was standing in Chennai, I was standing in one of six cities in India that has 15 million people population. 1.2 billion people in India. Try writing that number 1 billion. That's a one with nine zeros after it. it boggles the mind. I grew up in a town, the population was 1,200. I'm almost lost when I go to a city of 15 million. But that's the world that we're looking at. And we're looking at the vast majority of those that are lost and dying in their sins. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. At one point or another, we were in the same spiritual condition as the bulk of the world is today. We were lost until someone taught us the gospel. And without Jesus, every one of them will die lost. I want us to think about that for just a little bit. It's easy to think about the world. It's easy to think about other people. It's easy to think about the people that are in our neighborhood, the ones that we work with. We visit with them. We talk with them. Sometimes we develop relationships. But have we really grasped the reality that they're lost and dying in their sin if they're not a member of the Lord's body? John 8, 24. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I know that we live in a PC world. I know that... That, that that people ask for us to be politically correct in our speech, and sometimes I think we've gone too far with that. We don't like to call sin sin. We say that people stumble. We say that they slip up. We don't like that ugly word sin. And sometimes we rationalize people's position because we don't like to think about where they are spiritually. Well, what does that mean here for us this evening? I don't know you. I don't know your families. I don't know your situation in life. But I imagine if you're like many families, you've got family members that are not members of the Lord's body. You've got friends that are not members of the Lord's body. You work with people who are not members of the Lord's body. Yet without coming across as judgmental, many Christians are doing very little to change that reality. Oh, we realize something needs to be done. We realize somebody needs to do something. But we fail to grasp the reality that the Great Commission was given to us as a collective group, but also individually. David did not ask me to say this. But David has no more responsibility to preach the gospel to the lost than any member sitting in the pew today. Yes, he has more time. Yes, he has more training. But the Great Commission was given to every one of us as individuals as well. So what does that mean for the nations that are around the world? If the Lord were returned today, billions would be lost because of their sin. This is a fact that is due largely to individuals and congregations throughout our brotherhood who are not helping sometimes those who are willing to go. I'm so thankful for evangelistic-minded congregations. I hear that y'all are working with Mission Printing. Such a great work. And, and, And as I go and I raise funds, I'm so thankful for congregations that get it, that understand it. That know they can't go, but they're very willing to help those who desire to go but we also need to understand that these are not conditions that will simply go away you know every once in a while at night i'm like anybody else i have bad dreams but i've developed an ability over the years to wake myself up when i'm having a bad dream sometimes i can think about squeezing my eyes shut and opening them up And I then wake up and I realize I'm not in that horrific situation. I'm lying in my bed. I'm very comfortable now around my surroundings. That bad dream has now gone away. Brethren, this is a problem that's not just going to go away. This is a problem that we have to deal with. That we have to get a firm grasp on. We also need to see that the need is great because of the condition of the church. Many congregations have taken their eye off the ball of why we exist, of what we're about, and they've lost focus. Many congregations have turned inward. Again, I'm on the Internet a lot, and I look at a lot of web pages. I see some congregations that are very active outside their walls, but I also see a number of congregations that are way overbalanced to programs that are going inside to focus on the membership that's already there. For many, the congregation is little more than a social gathering. Again, I'm not intentionally trying to make things uncomfortable, but there are those in most any congregation that when they show up on Sunday morning, they punch a ticket and they're good to go for the week. Their showing up is their spiritual responsibility. Oftentimes, the preaching and teaching is focused on the social and emotional needs of the congregation. As I look around sound congregations today, and again, I travel a lot. I'm seeing many congregations continuing to decline in number. and What's doing that? There's even something that we call the graying of the church today, and that's many sound congregations. The average age is climbing, and there's very few younger that are there. What's what's going on in various places for this to be happening? For some, the local and economic status of a community is the culprit. I was the dean of students at the Brown Trail School of Preaching several years ago. And one of my responsibilities was congregations calling in, needing somebody to fill in to preach. And we would get some of the students to go out and preach for them. Well, one Sunday morning, or one morning during the week, I was there at the building by myself. The students were all out on a campaign somewhere. And a call came in needing somebody to fill in. It was the College Hill Congregation in Hillsboro. I spent five years there. I filled in one Sunday morning and then filled in for five years. When I first got there, if I'm not mistaken, some of the first mornings we had 20-some-odd people that were there. And I heard somebody say one time that congregation used to be 350 members. What happened? Well, there were several factors. Several things happened. There was a split. But also in Hillsboro, there's nothing to bring families in. When the young people get out of high school, they go to Waco or Fort Worth to college, and then that's where they stay. And in the congregations there, you have largely older members in the congregations. Some congregations are growing, but it's more swelling than it is true biblical growth. What I mean by swelling is sometimes just people just move their membership from one place to another. And, and things pick up. When I left there there, there, there were times when we were hitting up around 60. From 25 to 60, but we had very few conversions. We had people that came from other places. People that had left Hillsborough and came back. And so you may see 25 on the board at one point, 60 on the board at the other point, and think, well, they must be doing something right because they're growing. No, we were swelling. It wasn't growth in the true biblical sense of things. Unless something is done to rectify these situations, the size of congregations will continue to diminish. Number two, if this is the greatest need, then why is it not being met in so many cases? Well, for some, it's simply a lack of concern. There are many who are not concerned For the Lord's cause. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 10, and answer the question why did Jesus come here? Jesus didn't come here to provide a social group for people to come together, Jesus did not come here necessarily to give me peace of mind. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Many are simply not concerned for those who are lost and dying in sin. But then we see the attitude of Paul. Look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Can that be said of us? Can it be said that our heart's desire is for the many souls around us to be saved? For some, it's a lack of knowledge. They simply may lack knowledge of God's will in these matters. As I said, David and I have been through school. I was privileged when I went to Brown Trail to have Bobby Bates as my personal evangelism instructor. And as far as I was concerned, Bobby was one of the best. Every waking moment was involved in evangelism. And he has now written a three-study approach that I want to tell you about here in just a few minutes. Because we have a lot of resources out there For those who don't have that knowledge, many people just simply do not understand that the Great Commission is still bound upon us today. They see it as something that was a first century phenomenon. But the Lord has never rescinded that. The church still has that responsibility of taking the gospel to the whole world. Some people don't go because they may not know what to say. Or what to do and that's a reality and that's okay you may be in a situation right now that you don't feel that you're capable of hosting a bible study with somebody but you may can set one up you may can get david or, or others involved who may be doing that or you can learn from some of the things that are going on today we had a missions workshop, a Bible study workshop here just a few months ago at Granbury Street. and Brother Rob Whitaker and his wife came down to teach us how to use this three-lesson approach called Back to the Bible. Very simple, very straightforward, a good study. And now at Granbury Street, we're going back through each of those booklets ourselves, and we're going back and spending a lot more time with each one trying to equip people with the knowledge of how to conduct a Bible study. So it may be that you may not have enough people who know what they're doing, but there's ways to deal with that, and there's ways to educate our congregations. You know, when I think about the apostles, I think about those who were aggressive in their teaching. I read about those who studied often. When I think about my hero in the New Testament, it's got to be Paul with what he dealt with. I probably relate a little bit more to Peter than I do to Paul because every once in a while I can stick my foot in my mouth. and I can kind of have a knee-jerk reaction like Peter did every once in a while. Remember, on the Mount of Transfiguration... You know, they had been anticipating the Christ for over 400 years. Malachi, when he laid down his pen, promised that Christ was going to come, Messiah was going to come. And one like Elijah was going to prepare the way for him. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, who do we see? We see Moses, we see Elijah, and we see Christ. And then we see old Peter stick his foot in his mouth and say, Lord, this is a great day. Let's build three monuments. (laughs) What was he told? This is my son. Hear him. But he learned. And he did well. But I digress. What do we know about Andrew? Was Andrew a fiery speaker? Was Andrew a great evangelist? If he was, the Bible doesn't tell us. Andrew's mentioned for one thing. What did he do? He brought somebody to see Christ. Can't we do that? We sit across our fences. We have neighbors that barbecues. We work beside people. And we can often talk about the things that we love. If you're around me very long at all, you're going to hear about the Cowboys. You're going to hear about the Rangers. You're going to hear about my Longhorns. Okay? I moved to Alabama here some time back. And Alabama is a very clannish community. They have no pro franchises there. And so when I was hired that night, they say, okay, now that you're moving to Alabama, you have to choose. Is it going to be Bama or is it going to be Auburn? And I didn't have enough sense but to raise my fingers and say, I'm sorry, guys, it's going to be hookah. But what I'm saying is you may have a love. You may love to fish. You may love art that you're doing, crafts. You may love your garden. And we don't need much of an excuse to tell people about those things, do we? Why can't we tell them about the church in the same fashion? Or simply invite them to come? For some, it involves a lack of courage. Courage. Confession time. Again, I don't like door knocking. We're doing it at Granbury Street, and I'm taking care of the administrative portion of that. But I don't deal with rejection well. And oftentimes when we hit that door, the people think, oh, no, the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons are at it again. And people often are antagonistic when we show up at the door. And again, I don't like that kind of confrontation. And some people don't want to go because they just don't have the courage to deal with that. There's a fear of being rejected or ridiculed by friends and strangers alike. Yet there is no need to have such a fear because that fear can be overcome. People are not rejecting us. We need to understand that they're rejecting Christ. I think I read about a couple of Old Testament characters that came to that reality. You know, when those apostles, the vast majority of them died as martyrs, it wasn't personal. It wasn't because people didn't like them per se. It's because what they were preaching and who they were representing. If we find ourselves in such a situation, We should consider ourselves blessed because of the company that we keep. Can you imagine apostles who were beaten, were stoned? Anytime you get down just a little bit, turn to 2 Corinthians and read that checklist of what Paul had to deal with. And then I think we'll acknowledge that maybe things aren't so bad for us after all. Can you imagine apostles being released from prison or being persecuted and doing it joyfully because they were counted worthy of being persecuted. But you know, there's also another good point here. If you can't go, say you don't know. I'm inviting people to go overseas all the time. I'm I'm, I'm the coordinator of our work in western Ukraine now. I'm very excited about that new work. There's four congregations in western Ukraine, and we're starting from the floor up on that work. We already have one family that's taking our classes that is going about 30 miles away to plant a new congregation. We're going to be very excited to see five congregations of the Lord's Church soon. But isn't that how growth begins? You tell people, they tell people, they tell people. Sounds an awful lot like 2 Timothy 2.2 to me. But maybe you can't go with me. Well, you can help me go. Uh, I'm going to be in David's ear for some time now. I need a teacher to go to Ukraine and teach some classes with me. Uh, You might not be able to go teach those classes, but you can help David go. And do some things like that. David has a master's degree. And sound men with a master's degree, brethren, can be as rare as hen's teeth sometimes. But I'm going to be asking because I have a need. All we need is time and money. Are we willing, though, to overcome our fears to help those who are lost? Why isn't this need being met? For some, it's because it's just a lack of faith. Some just don't believe that God's word has the capability to turn things around in our society today. Some people don't believe the truth regarding the status of the world. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. Some don't believe the truth regarding the horrible consequences of sin, death. Separation from God is the horrible consequences. But also there are those who manifest a lack of faith in God's ability. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But I want you to think if you've heard these statements in your own life. No one wants to hear the truth today. Is that true? Or is that an excuse to keep us from going and doing what we need to be doing? We need to change things up to meet a changing society. There's the postmodernism creeping out again in this world. We need to understand though brethren that God has promised strength in our endeavors. Philippians chapter four and verse 13. Paul wrote, I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. God even provides the courage that we need. Look to 2 Timothy chapter one, verses seven and eight. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Part of our problem today is focusing on our own limitations. I'm studying now, preparing for a class. I'm going to be preaching next quarter at Brown Trail on Exodus. And remember Moses, when he was confronted by God and told what his mission was going to be? Moses started out with a string of excuses. I can't go. I can't speak. I can't do this. I can't do that. And every time he gave another excuse, God provided the means. You can't speak? Here's Aaron. Use him. Uh, Here's a staff. You're going to be able to do miraculous things. Do that. We can overcome those fears. But the problem is sometimes we're looking here and we're looking here and we're not looking there for the strength that we have or here for the strength that we need. But also for some, it's a lack of focus. There are so many things vying for our attention today. I spent a lot of time on Facebook, and there was a hilarious meme the other day. If you don't know what a meme is, ask somebody. It was somebody who was holding an old telephone, but they were taking a selfie with it. (laughs) That's the mentality of many of us in the technology age today. I substituted school one year, got that out of my system. Thank you very much. But I walked into classrooms where there were boards, with slots in them for students to put their cell phones in while they came in and sat down at classes because it was a distraction, too many things going on. We now live in an age where we can get information in seconds that it used to take ages for us to get. And technology is great, but it also brings with it the danger of a distraction taking us away. From what we need to be doing. Look at Luke eight fourteen. This is the parable of the sower. And it's talking about the soil that has the weed seeds in it. That they come up with the seed and choke it out. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those. When they have heard go out. Are choked with cares, riches and pleasures of life. And bring no fruit to maturity. Notice, the reason that they brought no fruit to maturity is not because they didn't know enough. It's not because they didn't have opportunity. It's because they allowed certain things in the world to hinder or choke out their time. Luke 21, 34 But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly. This may very well be the reasons that we don't evangelize as we should. As individuals, we should. Are we willing to seek the kingdom first? making its growth one of our priorities. Number three, and quickly, I'll try not to take you over here. Is the class going to come back in at a time or are they going to finish? Okay. One of the reasons that we need to be personal workers is because the Bible tells us that we need to be. That's not rocket science, is it? (laughs) That's not deep. That's not complex. The Bible tells me so. You know, when I was growing up, I did not like, When I asked my dad sometimes why, I did not like because I said so. That's an answer. But one year when I was 35, I sent him a Father's Day card one time, or a birthday card, I can't remember which one. But the card says, now that I'm 35, because I said so has taken on a whole new meaning. And I got to thinking later, because I said so is a valid response. To the question, why? Because I needed to understand that I needed to do something simply because my dad told me that I needed to do it. And I wanted my kids to do things simply because I told them to do it. We need to understand that there are things that we must do simply because God told us to do them. Jesus demanded that disciples be made. The Great Commission was stated there at the end of his life. During that 40 days while he had been resurrected before he ascended back to the Father. And in the original language, it carries the weight of a command. It's an imperative. Not a suggestion, not a thought, not an opinion. It's a commandment for us to go and make disciples. The Great Commission is not fulfilled until we assume the role of taking the gospel to the lost. And then we need to realize, of course, that any increase is going to be because of God's power and not ours. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 6. Another reason we need to be personal workers is to show our love for others. The command to love even our enemies is very clear in scriptures. And I don't know of anything that's harder. If somebody says something to me that is unkind or somebody approaches me in a way that is unkind or crude or rough, every once in a while the old me wants to kick in. It's hard to love people who are even our enemies. What greater love can we show than by teaching people the truth and helping them into a proper relationship with God and his son? As is the case in our physical lives, though, love is only known when it's shown. I can tell you that I love you all day. I try to tell my wife every day that I love her. Sometimes I get it done. Sometimes I do it three or four times. But I don't want a day to pass that I tell my wife that I love her. But it's easy to say it. Do we show it? Can it be seen? That's what's being discussed here. How will people around us know we love them by how we treat them and are reaching out. But I want us to, to camp on this next point for just a moment. Why do we need to be personal workers? Because we need to be like the early church. To be the Lord's church, we must have the attributes and the mannerisms of the early church. You know, we talk about the restoration plea a lot. Martin Luther, in 1517, nailed his opposition to the door of the Catholic Church, known as the 95-point thesis. And what he kicked off was the Reformation movement. In other words, all he did was reform Catholicism. He didn't go all the way back to the model. He went back about as far as Augustine and stopped there. Some of the things of the Catholic Church he held on to, some of the things he rejected, but he led a reform movement. But there's a difference between reforming something and restoring something. Let me give you an illustration. If I'm driving down the road when I go home and I see a pile of wood off on the side of the road, I pull over and I look at it and I said, hey, this used to be a rocking chair. I can take that old broken down rocking chair and I might make a a pretty nifty coffee table or stand out of it. What have I done to it? I've reformed it. I've changed the form. If I'm going to restore it, I have to go back to the original model. Hopefully I find a picture. And if I can find a picture and I have the material, I can make that rocking chair look just like it looked when it was manufactured. There's a lot of reformation going on today in the religious world. Just think of the number of church buildings that you have passed that might have changed names over the last several years. I used to, I still work with David Henry. This was when we were working with Bear Valley. He used to live over near Ruth Snow there in Fort Worth. And I can remember passing the Harvest Baptist Church there. And I knew it was the Harvest Baptist Church because they had a sign that would cover that back wall. Well, a couple of years later, it finally got my attention That sign had changed. And it said Harvest Church. And then in the bottom corner it said a non-denominational body. And I got to thinking, why the change of the name? Something had happened there. They had reformed something there. But I knew that it had not been restored. Because I could look at their webpage and I could see that they had praise teams. They used uh, instruments of worship. They taught a plan of salvation. That was not what the New Testament teaches. They may have reformed that group, but they didn't restore it. Now, we talk about this being the restored church, and we should. We should be organized according to the biblical model, and according to your web page, you are. You've got elders, you've got deacons. You talk about the requirements that are there. We talk about our worship. We try to make our worship as close to first century worship as we can, don't we? They didn't use the instrument, they took the Lord's Supper. The first day of every week, according to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. We see God's plan of salvation. The five points that we often read about. That's displayed very vividly on your webpage. And I love to see that. But brethren, please allow me to be blunt. We will not have restored the first century church until we likewise restore the evangelism of the first century church. Let me close by saying this. Our purpose in this lesson has been at least twofold. First of all, to see that the greatest need of the church is to return to our mission as a church. But also... To see that the greatest need of individual Christians is to be personal workers in ways in which you're capable. I'm not going to stand up here and blow smoke at you and say that everybody may have the same ability to teach as anybody else. That just might not be a reality. But there's something you can do, there's a way in which you can be involved as an individual. I'm so thankful that about a third of my support today now comes from individuals. Individuals who can't go, but are glad to help me go. And do you realize they are being world evangelists as well when they send others? Do you remember the number of times that Paul commended the church at Philippi for their help of him? When nobody else would help, he could count on the church at Philippi. And they were involved in that work. Sadly, the apathy and rate of decline in many congregations is real. For some, there has been a lack of concern, a lack of knowledge, a lack of courage, a lack of faith, or a lack of focus. This lack has hindered the most important work of the church. Well, what can we do? Do you realize that just asking the question, what can we do, is a great question, a great place to start? In Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost Day, as Peter delivered that great sermon, and he convicted those people of having crucified Jesus Christ, do you remember their response in the next verse? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Great question. (laughs) How can I resolve that? Peter told them how to resolve that. Repent, let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And 3,000 acknowledged in an obedient response of faith on that day. The asking of the question is good. Just asking that question shows concern. And that's a great place to start. But to this concern, we have to add knowledge. We need to know what we need to do. We have to learn. If we don't know, then let's learn. But to that knowledge, we must also add courage. And I'm also going to challenge us to add prayer. May we be those who realize this great need, who fill this great need, as we have opportunity. We don't know the hearts or the minds of anyone here this evening. If you're not a member of the Lord's body, we plead with you to come to him. On his turn, before it's too late, hearing his word, believing it, repenting of your past sins, turning from that which is wrong to that which is right, orally confessing your belief that Christ is Lord, and then putting him on into baptism. They're coming into contact with his blood. They're having our sins washed away. It may be here that you're visiting and you don't really know yet enough what you need to know. I would guarantee you there's somebody here that would be glad to study with you and let you know more fully. Just ask. But as I look out across a congregation such as this, I see a group of people that many have been Christians. And some may have been Christians longer than I've been alive. But you know, Satan is a gifted salesman. I've worked for several Ford dealerships, and I've seen some salesmen. We had a guy in Dublin, Texas, who had a lot of pickups on the lot. And very few of the small cars. We lived in a farming community. And I've seen people show up wanting to buy a little Ford Tempo and drove off in a Ford F-250 pickup because we had a bunch of them. That salesman was good. Satan's a good salesman. He can make sin look awfully appealing. And we want to fight it, and we try to fight it, and sometimes we do great, but every once in a while... We struggle, and we cave in, and we commit those sins. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2 tells us that those sins separate us from God. You know, I am so glad that the blood of Christ does not just cleanse on one occasion, that it continually cleanses as we turn from what's wrong to what's right. And it may be here that you brought a burden here with you this evening. There's something going on in your life that is not right. If that's the case, you can leave that here tonight. They'd be glad to pray with you
0: and for you as we stand and as we sing.